0: and welcome to the second episode of my Still Unnamed podcast, where I'll be talking about uh, theology and ministry and news and politics and pop culture. Um, I hope you'll stick with me. If you listened to the last episode, um, you got a little sneak preview of this one. Uh, I'll be talking about um, some of my experiences in El Salvador with a uh, seminary class um, and talking about uh, media and communication and art in times of resistance inspired by uh, a visit we made in um, Victoria El Salvador uh, to a radio station that had operated um, under threats to their lives uh, for some time. Um, I'll share a little more of that story later, um, but for now uh, we're gonna get into this project, Communicating the Resistance. So you might have seen in the news, I saw it on the Washington Post's website, that Amazon, um, in in a an advertising campaign for their show Man in the High Castle, um, created a, an internet radio station um, that was resistance radio. So in their imagination of resistance radio, uh, there, there was music. It was normal, I guess, pop music. And, you know, in between sets of songs, the DJs would talk about how to uh, resist in the Reich. And uh, the reaction to this fake radio station was pretty excellent. Um, Trump supporters all over uh, kind of derided the station for uh, you know, resistance to what? Trump's president yada yada um, not knowing that it was fake. Um, Now to their credit the hashtag resistance radio had been used uh, to talk about other kind of liberal media Um, but the for the first few days that this radio station was uh, on the web, um, people people thought it was real and reacted accordingly. Um, and you know maybe it's an insight into how powerful the the media can be as a tool of resistance. Um, The fact that actually on both sides the the reaction to this fake radio station uh, was kind of powerful um, is a really makes a statement on on what kind of a tool this this really is. Um, so to get into uh, my discussion of resistance and communication. Um, I'm going to talk first about a little bit of theory, and that will come from Mohan Dutta's book, uh, Voices of Resistance. Um, And then I'm going to talk about a couple of other historical examples of um, resistance media. You can put that in scare quotes. Then I'll talk uh, about the history of the Salvadoran Civil War, and then I'll talk specifically about um, resistance radio in El Salvador, both um, a station that broadcast for the FMLN during the war called Radio Venceremos, and then um, a little of the radio station that we visited called Radio Victoria. Um, and then we'll hear uh, an interview with Mark Miller. Um, and an interview with Robin Hinnicka. Um, Mark talks about um, art and music and resistance. He has written some some pretty powerful songs that are used in moments of resistance lately. Um, so we'll hear from him. Robin is the pastor of Arch Street United Methodist uh, Church in Philadelphia and they've been harboring a uh, An undocumented immigrant um, who sought sanctuary there Um, and we're going to talk to him about the importance of communication in uh, our contemporary situation so um, look forward to that they're both great okay so Mohan Dutta wrote a book uh, called Voices of the Resistance and um, he starts off with some theory of, uh, of communication and and resistance. Um, he says uh, his thesis is that listening to a wide variety of voices and allowing those voices to change the conversation and disrupt the status quo is really what we're going for when we're talking about resistance media. So he says in... on. Um, page eight communication creates the thread that weaves acts of resistance in relationship to dominant structures of oppression offering entry points for disrupting and or transforming these structures he says resistance communication emerges in unexpected forms um, communication allows larger networks to form and i think these three statements uh remind me of um, like Pantsuit Nation which was a Facebook group that started um, in the Clinton campaign and then after the election became so it was a secret Facebook group and then it became uh, a movement of like-minded mostly women uh, who had supported Hillary Clinton and who were outraged by Donald Trump's election Um, that the communication on Facebook allowed this network to grow and grow and grow and grow. Um, now they have a book deal. Um, and I don't know how disruptive, like a bunch of liberal white women can be, but, um, but the nature of the group, I think fits this model, um, that, uh, Communicating disrupts and transforms. Um, he says, uh, Dutta says, uh, representation is important. And I would add on to that, that everyone has a voice. We often hear people talk about being the voice of the voiceless, but that's not our our call or our duty, because everyone has a voice. Uh, sometimes our 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 duty is to... Just allow them to be heard, um, to shut up ourselves. Um, I'm preaching to myself right now, um, but just allow people to have a place at the table and, and in the conversation. Um, and in so doing, disrupt and transform the conversation. Um, Dutta says that there are more and less formal means of communication in times of resistance. Uh, we're talking about radio today, which um, is a more formal method of communication. Although um, one of the stations we'll be talking about was a an underground radio station, a clandestine station, um, broadcasting for the the FMLN rebels in El Salvador. Um, but there are more formal uh, means of communication, um, and there are less formal. Um, we have uh, comedy specials, um, SNL skits, Merriam-Webster's Twitter account, trolling the hell out of the Trump administration, which is comical. Um, There are all kinds of ways to be a part of communicating resistance, uh, and especially in our current um, media and communication culture. media and communication are already being disrupted and disruptive, Um, so taking advantage of that is is one of the strategies we can use to communicate in in the resistance. Um, Dutta says, listening to voices outside the hegemony is, I'm sorry, the hegemony is uh, crucial to understanding and also crucial to disruption. So again, just listening to a multitude, a variety of voices, um, is going to get us further than clamoring to speak over one another. So that's the some of the theory of communication in the resistance. Um, in thinking about you know some historical examples, the first thing that occurred to me um, was uh, radio in the, during the World War II resistance, and I am going to talk about the BBC World Service. Um, but when I was looking that up, it occurred to me that African-American spirituals in the enslaved South, um, are a fine example of resistance media, and communication in the resistance. So it's pretty, uh, commonly known, um, that spirituals served as coded communication for enslaved people and particularly, uh, were used that way on the Underground Railroad. Um, if you, if you didn't know that, I'm not going to go very deeply into it here, but there are documentaries you can watch and websites you can read. The, um, Harriet Tubman Historical Society has a great website on uh, coded language and spirituals. You can just pop that phrase into Google and find out more. Um, But it's suspected that there were many, many songs that had coded language uh, in them to either pass along messages or to um, guide escaped enslaved folks on the way to freedom um, to boost morale, all kinds of things. And they referenced, um, biblical figures and themes, um, and, and that would, you know, serve the purpose of making, uh, foremen and masters and, and the upper class think that, you know, these people are just singing about the Bible, when really they were saying, you know, hide out in the, in the river so the the dogs won't track your scent or follow the big dipper cause it points north. Um, or Hey person, who's getting ready to escape tonight's the night. Um, just, uh, really significant means of communication in a time of resistance that was, uh, even more, you know, subversive than, than anything, um, we're experiencing in the United States at least right now. So uh, my second example from history is uh, the BBC World Service during World War II. Um, The info I'm about to share comes from an article on the BBC's website, um, and it just traces the history of the overseas service uh, during World War II, and it was really interesting. So the BBC in the thirties, um, was a listening to German propaganda and news reports, um, and, and trying to combat those to, you know, do they had their own propaganda wing, uh, they were intercepting radio communications, um, you know, they were, they were working in the lead up to the second world war, um, to use their resources uh, for Britain's, I guess, national interests. Um, But their strategy changed radically once World War II started. Um, They began broadcasting in multiple different languages, particularly to countries under German occupation. Um, By the end of the war, they were broadcasting in 45 languages to listeners throughout Europe, uh, again, particularly to occupied territories, Um, they used European refugees for news reports, for translations. Um, They uh, took particular care um, when broadcasting into Germany um, not to have Jewish voices on the radio uh, so that uh, the audience would not tune them out, but they did use uh, German Jews as writers, um, editors. Their voices, um, in a in a in a uh, background sense, were being broadcast and communicated, um, just not through their own physical voices, which I found really interesting. Um, a fun tidbit is that the, uh, the, the two-finger peace sign that we uh, often use now uh, has its origins in the V for Victory campaign. Um, the campaign was to slap Vs for victory on um, every available surface in Britain and, uh, and probably more clandestinely in the occupied territories in Europe, um, but it was also on the radio. Newscasts were identified, so station identification started with the Morse code for the letter V, um, which is dot 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 dash, which is, also sounds like the first few notes of Beethoven's Fifth. You're probably familiar with, um, so ba 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 ba. It was played on the timpani. Sounds like Beethoven's Fifth, um, and that's a subversive little use of the radio for morale, for subversion. I just, I thought that was really cool of them that they did that. Um, Also on the BBC, they actually passed secret codes to the resistance and the underground um, in Europe. Uh, This article says that as resistance fighters in Europe tried to strike back against their occupiers, the BBC's European services would broadcast secret messages to them These would be apparently meaningless phrases whose significance was known only to specific resistance groups and their British handlers in the special operations executive. Hearing the words would tell the resistance fighters if an operation was to go ahead or canceled or if people or documents had arrived safely. The messages were famously bizarre, and a couple of examples from the article are (laughs) Le lapin a beau un aperitif that's the rabbit drank an aperitif, or mademoiselle caresse le nez de son chien. Uh, Mademoiselle strokes her dog's nose um, was a secret message. And I just find that to be delightful. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, pretty anti-war, but the ways that humans survive is uh, eternally. Um, fascinating to me, Uh, survive all sorts of situations. The BBC also um, had significant anti-propaganda efforts during the war. Um, They made a point of being honest and trying to maintain strict journalistic integrity during their news reports so that um, even Nazi sympathizers, um, German citizens, neutral people uh, would tune into the foreign, the overseas services newscasts to get accurate information. Um, and and that had the effect of undermining uh, German propaganda because um, people were getting the real info. So um, those are a couple of historical examples of the uh, use of Media and communication in times of resistance. Um, now we're going to move on and talk about El Salvador. And before we get to media and communication and resistance, um, I'm going to tell you a bit about um, the history of the Salvadoran Civil War. So in 1932, uh, the Great Depression had um, in the United States had obviously also affected the worldwide economy in El Salvador it had caused coffee prices to drop um, and coffee uh, had become so widespread an export crop in El Salvador that it had taken over land previously used for, um, for food crops for, uh, not for export. Um, since coffee prices were so low Coffee farmers weren't hiring workers, Um, they weren't hiring harvesters, they were uh, just letting the coffee crop rot in the fields. Um, So the workers who would have been hired to harvest the coffee and work the fields didn't have any money, Um, and food that had been imported to replace um, indigenous crops had... Was expensive. Um, they didn't. The workers didn't have any money to buy that imported food. So Farabundo Mundi, um, who founded one of the early socialist groups in um, in El Salvador, organized um, farmers and peasants to stage uh, an armed protest or or a rebellion, um, and they were slaughtered. Uh, in 1932 at Isalco, um, a, a volcano, like the base of a volcano, they um, staged a, a protest or peasant rebellion um, and were massacred by uh, Salvadoran government military, by by, by government troops. Um, so after that, really, the situation didn't improve. Um, coffee was still the primary crop, it was still an export crop, um, land was actually more and more consolidated in the hands of the, the historic uh, 14 families, the oligarchy of El Salvador. Um, so, so really the situation got worse. Um, and in the late 1970s uh, the government began targeting opposition uh, priests nuns, peasants, organizers, um, and in response to this targeting uh, guerrilla groups began to organize. And in 1980 five of these guerrilla groups came together to form the FMLN which was named for Farabundo Mundi. Um, The Civil War began in 1980-1981 and went on for 12 years. Now, uh, so that's some of the uh, the history, like a bare-boned history, and um, there are a ton of resources you can look to uh, to learn more about the Salvadoran armed conflict. Even the Wikipedia page um, is fine for just getting a, a, a bit of an understanding, like a background understanding. Um, but there are a lot of layers to this conflict. Um, the US was involved, uh, as it was in many Latin American countries intervening, um, arming governments against uh, what they saw as communist rebels, um, you know, in the name of fighting the Cold War. Uh, there, there was fault. Kind of on both sides. Um, also, although clearly, uh, governments who execute and disappear and massacre their own citizens are, um, you know, guilty of deep, almost unforgivable crimes. Um, to slaughter your own citizens is um, just unconscionable. Um, But anyway, I encourage you to learn more about the Salvadoran Civil War. There are films, there are websites uh, that you can visit. I recommend um, the film Romero, uh, starring Raul Julia. I recommend um, Voces Innocentes, Innocent Voices, uh, which is available on DVD through Netflix, although it's hard to find streaming. Um, I recommend... uh, the website of Fundacion Share, which was the organization we visited El Salvador through. Um, and and yeah, like I said, the, the Wikipedia page is a good place to start just for an overview of Salvadoran history. So I'm gonna move on and talk about um, resistance media in El Salvador specifically. Um, and I'm gonna talk about radio primarily, although um, there are other forms of uh, of media that were used in the resistance. Um, radio was one of the primary m- media for uh, rebel groups to get their message out. So. In the early 80s, uh, radio had really good market penetration. Um, Radios are not terribly expensive. Uh, Broadcasting is not terribly expensive. Um, And you can repeat signals so people, you know, outside of the range of one transmitter can uh, receive the same station if there's a signal repeater. Um, So uh, radio had good availability in the market in the early 80s. Um, according to, uh, Darling, the radio was of a higher quality than most of the mass media news, um, which was often state sanctioned or state sponsored and, um, you know, full of either propaganda or censored, um, or, uh, other practices to, to clamp down on the media that we see in, um, uh, less free uh, regimes. Um, There were independent newspapers at the time, but they were targets for the Salvadoran army, the Salvadoran government. Um, One of those newspapers uh, actually had to shut down after its editor, I think, was found murdered and abandoned in a ditch. Um, So the independent newspapers um, were not a, a, a durable source, um, as, uh, the radio turned out to be. Um, so there were independent radio stations in the eighties. Um, in addition, the Roman Catholic church in El Salvador founded a radio station YSAX in 1978, uh, according to them to promote more diverse views. Uh, YSAX w- was the station that broadcast Archbishop Romero's homilies and also commentaries by the rector of um, uh, the Universidad Centroamericana um, uh, Ignacio Ayacuria, um who uh, was a philosopher a theologian so um, a year after the station's founding, after YSAX's founding, uh, an announcer on the station said, we speak more from Christian commitment than from solely political commitment. In this sense our words seek justice and reason. We put them at the service of all those that suffer. We try to be the voice of those who cannot speak. Um, In explaining the radio station's purpose, that's what Uh, That's what they said to their listeners. Um, But Romero's sermons and Eya Curia's commentaries uh, were critical of the government and also promulgated ideas of liberation theology over the radio. Um, He did not uh, shy away um, from from kind of telling it like it was. Um, And he was assassinated. Uh, for his views and for his outspokenness in March of 1980 so in 1981 um, Radio Venceremos was founded Uh, Venceremos means we will overcome or we shall prevail Um, a Priest, who, who knew Romero, um, kind of met and, and fled to the mountains um, with an FMLN uh, rebel who became a, a, a Radio Venceremos announcer, um, and they collaborated together on Radio Venceremos for 12 years. Um, Radio Venceremos uh, was a clandestine, independent medium of the FMLN Rebellion. They had listeners around El Salvador. Uh, The station relayed resistance messages, news reports, and also broadcast details of the daily life in the uh, rebel kind of territories um, to their audience. Um, that was largely receiving their news from the state, uh, state-sanctioned media. Um, the FMLN also, of course, used Radio Venceremos for propaganda and morale purposes. Uh, according to Darling, um, to, to great success, they were able to, uh, to prop up uh, and encourage people uh, throughout their listenership. Um, the church was an important part of Radio Venceremos's mission and uh, the Venceremos crew recognized that importance during the war. Uh, their radio broadcasts would quote Romero and Ella Curia, um, who was actually one of the six Jesuit priests who was murdered at UCA, the Universidad Centroamericana um by government forces later on in the war uh, that was supposed to 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 shift blame onto the rebels, but it was uh, pretty apparent from the from from the beginning um, or from the time immediately after that uh, assassination that the government had perpetrated it, um, but the Romero and Curia quotes on Radio Venceremos uh, solidified that that um, connection between the radio station and the church. And Rogelio Poncele, uh, who was that priest who fled to the mountains with the radio announcer, um, was on the radio from the time that the war started. Um, the night after one of the initial bombings, he was on the radio saying that uh, good people, Christian people had come together to to fight uh, the status quo in El Salvador. And he would offer mass on the radio. He made announcements, offered encouragement. He would... Um, he, he visited the site of the Mosote massacre, massacre and reported his, um, his own account. Um, Mosote Massacre took place in the home province where uh, Radio Venceremos was located. So uh, Ponceele was able to go visit that sh- site and share his firsthand account of the aftermath of that massacre. Radio Venceremos also called for accountability uh, of the government for assassinations, disappearances, intimidation campaigns, threats made against um, rebels, sympathizers, uh, liberals (laughs) in general, I think. Um, So they were really good at using the medium to uh, propagate their message. Um... And even, you know, the airwaves are free. Um, if you have a transmitter and a receiver, you you can send out a signal um, to to that person who has the receiver. So uh, as long as signals weren't being jammed, um, that message was out there. And uh, and and media is is obviously powerful, as as we've already discussed. Um. So uh. Juanita Darling um, has written a few articles that I referenced in that segment, and I encourage you to read them if you um, are interested in knowing more. Um, they are called uh, The Three R's, also uh, one is called Community Radio, and uh, Radio and Revolution in El Salvador. Uh, with subtitles in all three, of course, but, um, you can search Juanita Darling in any, um, in any Drew database, um, in any, you know, university database, and you should be able to find those articles, um, so, the Radio Venceremos was a powerful tool in the FMLN's, uh, arsenal, they were able to get their message out. They were able to, um, sort of recruit the church, uh, into, um, an, an alliance, uh, with their message. Um, you know, even as the, the church hierarchy, uh, would not have agreed necessarily. Um, the FMLN had, uh, priests on the radio, you know, advocating for their cause and saying that um, violence as self-defense was not, uh, uh, at least not as bad as um, unprovoked violence against innocent people. So um, you can see uh, media was a powerful tool. and remains a powerful tool to this day. Um, When we visited El Salvador, we visited Radio Victoria in um, the town of Victoria in Cabañas. Um, Radio Victoria was founded in 1993 after the peace accords had been signed. Um, It was not founded in Victoria, but is based there now, still in Cabañas. and from its earliest days, Radio Victoria was speaking out on behalf of the people of Cabañas, of the campesinos or the peasants. Um, they were advocating for education, for health care, for access to clean water, um, all of which were threatened uh, during the armed conflict and immediately after. So um, the radio station advocating for these things was, again, a powerful use of media uh, in a time of um, uncertainty and uh, to the purpose of kind of resisting the status quo. So according to Radio Victoria, they aim to represent the interests of their community Um, and one of the ways that they did that, that they shared with us, was in speaking out against um, the licensing of a transnational mining corporation that wanted permission to mine in Cabañas. Um, The radio station did its uh, reporting, did its analysis and decided that uh, they were gonna um, use their platform to speak out on behalf of the people of Cabañas and oppose um, the permitting of this mining corporation, so they did. They um, spoke out against them. They cited the environmental and labor concerns. Uh, they um, helped to organize, uh, and they, didn't, they just didn't let up. And um, they even continued to broadcast under death threats and threats to their uh, their well being and their property um, during this fight over mineral rights, um, possibly from the mining concern itself, uh, almost uh, certainly from those who had stakes in this mining corporation. So um, they, you know, over odds that would cause many of us to to just back away um, or temper our message, Radio Victoria um, very courageously continued to broadcast and continued to broadcast that same message uh, speaking out against the mining corporation. Uh, We met, uh, I think the program director and the content director, Oscar and Elvis, who were at Radio Victoria in its early days and, and are still there, um, they shared with us their story uh, up to and including um, helping a, a young woman, an employee of the radio station, to uh, flee from El Salvador because her, her life was being threatened by people because of the work that the station was doing. Um and Oscar and Elvis were just inspiring and their courage was um kind of marvelous in in that it wasn't ostentatious um when they told us the story it seemed like quitting was never even uh, really on the table. I know they said they had talked about halting their broadcast, but they weren't really ever... Uh, they, it seemed like they never actually considered um, shutting down. Uh, they knew that the work they were doing was important and uh, they knew it needed to continue and they were willing to take the risk. Um, in talking to them, it certainly never seemed as if they were out for recognition. Um, they're, they're like polo shirt wearing, baseball cap wearing guys, uh, who were just telling their story, um, because they know it's important to know that things like this happen, uh, not for any glorification of themselves and, um and they were dedicated to uh, free media, to um, the eradication of censorship and uh, uh, repression. Um, They're just, they're two very brave men um, using the tools that they have to try to make their country better. And I am in awe of them and I applaud them. I think they're amazing. Okay, next we have an interview with a person I think is also brave, uh, courageous in his own way. We're going to hear Mark Miller talk about the songs he's written that are resistance songs lately. Um, and in the last couple of years, Mark has been writing music that's really of the moment and speaks to um, sort of moods here in our country. Um, and he's going to talk about... Um, how and why he does that and how people can participate in communicating uh, resistance and a little of how art and music are um, different and important ways of communicating resistance. So enjoy this
1: interview with Mark Miller. Um, okay, so for my uh, El Salvador cross-cultural final project. And um, I don't know if you, I don't know if we talked about El Salvador at all, but we met these guys from a radio station who, they were founded after the war um, ended. They were founded in 1983, but they, um, they're like in the countryside and uh, their main sort of, the main story they told us when we met them was how they um, continued to broadcast under a threat like threats to their lives and threats to their property uh, mm-hmm. when they were like speaking out um, uh, in opposition to a transnational mining corporation. So mm-hmm. uh, throughout like the process of licensing and stuff for this mining corporation, this radio station, Radio Victoria, um, just kept broadcasting and like they were seriously people's lives um, and like their 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 um, power got destroyed at kind of think So uh, that left me thinking a lot about, especially because we went to in January and came back right in time for the inauguration. <laughs> like it left me thinking a lot about what you know how we um, how we like communicate in in the resistance. Not that our situation is as dire as you know death threats um, for for talking, but um, but you know with your um motifs lately i thought it would be fun to talk to you about um like art as resistance and and words as resistance and and what your hopes are for your songs that you've written lately so um how does that sound sounds great okay so since i've known you uh you i've experienced your songs to be um responding to specific issues so um in twenty fourteen twenty fifteen um you wrote a lot of music around the black lives matter and police brutality um uh issues and uh in the last year or so you've written a couple of um songs on themes of resistance so specifically i'm thinking of we resist and la lucha um so the songs are kind of they're they're in the moment they're in a response to to something um that that inspires you um but they they address broader issues can you talk some about that
2: yes absolutely um i i guess i've always written music to try to bring people together so usually i guess for me historically that's been in a christian context pretty specifically being a church musician, um, but that's still trying to bring differing groups together, whether it's by age or, I don't know, economic status or education or racial barriers. It's It's been um, of particular interest to me to figure out music that crosses boundaries. So... Uh, and I guess I mentioned last week in class how, you know, the music of Isaac Watts,
1: mm-hmm.
2: even though he wrote it for a specific context, kind of crossed boundaries, racial boundaries in this country early on in the early 17th century where African Americans who were brought here slaves actually found his music to contain spiritual power um, and that I would argue that helped keep them feeling human and deserving of um you know status of god child of god and so even um even music that's not necessarily created for a social justice purpose actually mm-hmm. becomes um uh, you know a kind of a, a tool of resistance in some yeah. ways so um and uh So I I guess I experienced my own music in that way uh, when I wrote a song like Draw the Circle Wide, which was Mm -hmm. originally written for um, a memorial service for a young student, a college student, who had taken their Mm -hmm. life in 2007. Um, And the song was initially... I I imagined it as... um, I I knew the service was going to be using the, the text of Ruth Mm-hmm. And um, that whole idea that in our mourning and in our in our sense of grieving and our sense of loss, what what should we do? And mm-hmm. the answer is that we come together. So Draw the Circle Wide was a friend suggested to me that I look at those lyrics because because of the line that no one stands alone in this, mm-hmm. this process, you know. So the song was written for the memorial service but quickly became a song that was used in a much broader context of we will draw the circle of God's love and inclusion wider, um, which seemed to be a natural fit. The idea mm-hmm. that um, love and justice are always seeking ways to include more people, and um, but it it didn't. The irony wasn't lost on me that the song is never mentions God or love, right. uh, and that uh, it has no. The the song that I wrote, I mean, the original text has many Christian, strong Trinitarian concepts, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, but the lyrics that I chose didn't have that at all, and yet it's being used in a context of, uh, you know, more love and justice for people. So uh, that got me... I mean, I I realized that I wanted to write more music that could be used in a... um, where systems of oppression were really strongly felt in the people who like myself wanted to kind of resist and say that, uh, you know, we are somebody too. And yet Mm -hmm. keeping the themes that would cross, you know, that the music could be used in many different contexts and across all the boundaries I mentioned earlier of age Mm -hmm. and class and race. So, um, yeah, the the uh, the song "How Long," which mm-hmm. came from a specific Christian context for me because it was Advent, and I was thinking about the, the themes of waiting and uh, waiting for the birth of Christ. What that what's that mean? And almost kind of penitent themes of fasting and praying, and mm-hmm. uh, but this sense of longing for. Love to come into the world again, longing for God's justice to be there. That that was also very strongly felt at the time and in my own life because of the uh, the grand jury verdicts that had just Mm -hmm. come down within weeks of each other between the death of Michael Brown, the murder of Michael Brown, the murder of Eric Garner, um, and there was no. It felt like there was no justice um, at the time. So the song how long was certainly connected to not only kind of a liturgical season but a season of waiting for justice and so it kind of is a a lament but at the same time a protest you know how much longer can we wait
1: yeah yeah i find it really um really interesting that you like you're pulling from different like that connection between what's going on in the world and what's going on in the church is really is really powerful. Like what's going on in the, the liturgical year, specifically connected to the broader world, is really interesting. Um, so I appreciate. I didn't know that about that song. That's that's really yeah. that's really cool. Um, so can you talk about why you have uh, felt the need to write um, more sort of overt resistance songs lately? So you have a song titled "We Resist" and you have a song <laughs> titled "The Struggle." Um, can you talk about the um, impulse to write? music Uh, like
2: that yes yes um i it's a it's a new thing for me (laughs) (laughs) um again it 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 obviously comes out of the times of where we find ourselves Mm -hmm. i'd say politically I, i mean in today's political climate in the united states um I mean, it, but songs never I, – I don't think songs mean anything if they're just kind of general, uh, you know, trying to uh, – we already have We Are the World, We Are the Children, and, <laughs> and you know, and even that song, you know, it was written in a specific context, time and place, and um, to kind of address the issues that they were talking about fighting hunger, I think, at the time. Mm-hmm.
1: Um
2: we Resist came out of uh, planning for a worship service in chapel that would commemorate Malcolm X's uh, day of, I believe it was the day he was assassinated.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, they expected me to have some piece of music that would, <laughs> uh, you know, bring us together. And so I thought, you know, not the hymnal, not. And I, I would think, you know, what would and And still you know i, I mean I'm a Christian, and Malcolm X was of course uh Muslim, but what are the um kind of the, what are the values that could bring us together around this and um and so I thought about praying for our enemies and welcoming a stranger mm. um and showing love to your neighbor but that those ideas of hospitality and radical hospitality and saying, you know we pray for our enemies, which is um you know this judeo christian concept because of jesus i i um in the in and i wanted to take the word resist and kind of subvert it mm-hmm. um to not not just you know i don't i want to, i don't want it to be a political word of course the resistance is a very political idea these days and partisan maybe but i wanted to say we're resisting the impulse to let hatred Direct our mm-hmm. um, our way of living. Like we just can't do that. So that's it's a distinctly nonpartisan way of saying we resist to let hatred in. We we refuse to let this kind of take over our our way of thinking and being. So um, so the first part of the song: we resist, we refuse to let hatred in. We rise up. We won't back down. We're in this till the end. We're we're not going to let go of this idea. And then the second part of the song kind of gives more context to what we're talking about the the, the positive part. Okay, so we're not gonna let hatred in there. What are we gonna do? We're gonna pray for mm-hmm. our enemies, gonna welcome the stranger, um and show love. Show love to everyone around us. So that's what we're in the end to do. And um the song yeah kind of has give has given new power to um i don't know our values it so for instance i was just in a in houston texas in a church that mm-hmm. is the epicenter of the confessing movement of good news of of the most conservative elements of uh united methodists today united mm-hmm. methodist denomination and Um, Still, we sang, we resist, taught it to the choir, and um, it got a very powerful response from people Mm -hmm. uh, across all stripes because they, you know, if we're following Jesus, these are his words, they're not mine. Mm -hmm. So it makes a, a really strong case to say we have to come together.
0: Well, my apologies, um, there were some problems with the recording and the rest of Mark's interview is unusable. Um, I hope to be able to get back to that interview. The rest of it was really good. Um, but he had a limited amount of time um, so we couldn't get back and re-record. Uh, apologies, I hope um, you're intrigued. Um, I enjoyed that interview. And, uh, and, like I said, I hope I can get back to it at some point. So thanks again to Mark for taking the time to chat with me about his music, about resistance, uh, about courage. Um, I appreciate it, and I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. The experiment will probably go on, so stay tuned for future episodes. Um, I am getting ready to go on a road trip with my mom across the country, uh, I might record some conversations with her. She's a lovely, interesting person who has opposite views from me a lot of the time. So stay tuned and we'll see you next time. Take care.